Well, we're doing a redo of the opening and nobody will be the wiser about what was, uh, what was binned, as the others say. <laughs> so, um, this is going to be related. It's, uh, it's April 1st. Um, it's, it was kind of the longest. It's not, it's not March anymore. Thank God. So it's, it was the longest second half of a month. Um, I think humanly possible leap years will tend, will tend to do that to you. Uh, but the thing I want to go back to is something I talked about like a week ago. Um, or that we talked about online, offline, inside Slack, where I really miss being able to listen to podcasts. Yeah, you and me both. So do you, do you know what I mean by that? I 100% know what you mean by that. What, what do I mean? Or, what, or what, how do you interpret it? I'd say probably 75% plus of my podcast listening is sort of like when I'm out and about kind of specifically like when I'm in between things. So obviously exhibit A of that would be commuting to and from my office. Um, but then also just when I'm in the car running errands. Um, and now that I'm, you know, home basically 98% of the time, all all of that time is, is sort of gone. And And I mean, quite honestly, the only time I really listen to podcasts anymore are Walking Branson. Um, which, you know, we do that twice a day. Sometimes I do it on my own and that's podcast listening time, but then, you know, sometimes I'm with family and so that's not podcast listening time. So if, you know, net net, it's, you know, 30 to 60 minutes of podcast listening time a day. So you mean, you mean when you're doing a couple's walk, you don't just bring out like your anchor speaker and just blast the daily. The, the lady friend does like the daily, but, but no, we don't do that. Yeah gotta be kind to the neighbors yeah i think i think that's a third of it the other part i would say is a lot of it is content it's not necessarily time to listen because i'm actually adapting to like i i listened to podcasts when i'm at home like fairly often it would definitely be like a type of chore um background music type thing but i th- i mean a lot of it is that a large portion of the shows that i listen to are related to either like business economics uh technology like uh, politics news and technology it basically feels like every single one of them has been rightfully so consumed by this so that one kind of escape is is gone and i I find that to be a bummer and then also the stuff that is not consumed by the covid19 pandemic topic is like the stuff like that's either funny or that i want to enjoy i'm like i'm just too anxious to listen to it and i feel like i can't like waste that like content i don't know it's just yeah it's time to listen the amount of content related to just despair and bad news and then also just not being able to have the mental wherewithal to enjoy anything that actually doesn't fall into those other two buckets yeah i'm i'm with you 100 percent there um for i think really if i look back at the last month the only two podcasts that I've listened to consistently that, that aren't, you know, had that haven't really been primarily focused on the coronavirus have been upgrade and the six color secret subscriber podcast. I think both, both have been a really good combination of addressing the topic, but not being fully consumed by it. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think, uh, Jason and Mike and Dan all deserve kind of a lot of a lot of credit in that regard. Like I actually thought with Upgrade, their whole tips from working from home segment was actually kind of a 
you know, a nice little topic that actually fits into the existing kind of structure of the show, but then also obviously is relevant to the times that we're in. Yeah. Um, and I actually, you know, so I, I'm, I think you and I are similar in the sense that we're in, in the spectrum of worrying about things. We probably both <laughs> worry, worry more than is, than is healthy or necessary. Uh, so you, you know, you put a global pandemic in front of us and, you know, we're going to be a bit concerned about it, but, um, I actually have found short distractions to be helpful. Like I, I'm with you. I'm, there's no way that I'm going to like sit down and, you know, watch a two hour documentary or something like my attention spans, just not, that's not there, but with, you know, relatively short podcasts like Upgrade. It is sort of my weekly respite to to get away from all the other news. Um, and a little, a little, you know, kind of sidebar, which is actually a topic we're going to get into a little bit more in follow up. But um, I know we were a little, or at least I was a little snarky about like the way that Apple introduced WWDC and not really addressing, you know, COVID nineteen. And sort of almost just going about in you know things in a business as usual way, which was also sort of compounded with them doing a you know product release and a major iPad OS release. But I actually like I actually kind of applaud them for that now because if I look back to the last three weeks, I th- I think that bit of Apple news is like the one non coronavirus <laughs> piece of news that's like actually stuck with me and at least for like a very brief moment kind of made me feel like the world was normal again so yeah you know, know. apple gets a little credit there you got quibi launching on monday go <laughs> oh, jason's jason's mm-hmm. little little mm-hmm. rant about that was was mm-hmm. was pretty good um yeah going back to what you said uh the six color the six colors secret podcast is is just reliably one of the best listens all week it's 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 punchy and brief it's like 30 to 45 minutes it it's it's really really good doesn't have the formality of upgrade and it's just it's it's great yeah go go give six colors 60 dollars a year and then go listen to it and it's 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 top notch it's it's almost you get like jason and dan sort of unfiltered i mean not that they're you know like some like polished politicians or something and all their other shows but i don't know there's something about the the vibe of that show where you really do get kind of a um an unedited version of kind of what they're what they're thinking about yeah so yeah podcast it's still all right well actually uh this this i don't think this actually made it into the show notes i don't have the doc up but yeah, there was something about the, this goes back to your point about routine of like I think it's PodTrack is the company that looks at um listening trends and something like podcast listening was down like 10 or 30% in March because people just aren't commuting and on Twitter there were a bunch of conversations people like yeah, uh podcasting is generally only a when I'm moving and don't have any other time to either watch something or read something. And I don't know, I didn't necessarily identify with that, but yeah, apparently yeah, podcasting is go- is not going to see like some type of renaissance during this whole thing just because that's not what people choose to use their time for yeah but with that what do we have for follow-up well um so i've got um um i guess we'll so 
little inside scoop here in, in, in our doc. We, we have sort of follow-up and then what we call loss carry forward from the prior week, which sometimes those areas blend. Um, but I guess sticking with the traditional follow-up, um, the cursor support in iPadOS, which we mentioned a minute ago, have you played around with this at all yet? Uh, for about five minutes. Um, yeah, but that was on the first day when very few apps were updated to support it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I haven't spent a whole lot more um, time than that. Um, I actually had kind of a like a funny first experience with it because, you know, I downloaded iPadOS 13.4, but then I had a thought like, geez, do I even like do I have any sort of like Bluetooth pointer device I can even connect to this thing? Because the uh, Logitech mouse that I use, which is the Logitech MX Master 2S, uh, I have that connected to my Mac just with the little, you know, Logitech USB dongle thing, the Mm -hmm. little receiver. Yeah. Uh, Just because I think that's generally accepted as being just the, you know, most reliable way to communicate with Logitech devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remembered that this mouse, which has become kind of a common feature with a lot of mice, has the ability to quickly switch between multiple devices. This mouse can switch between three devices with just kind of the press of a button. Um, but what I had also forgotten was that it can connect two devices via Bluetooth. So you can you can connect this thing to laptops, whatever, any kind of Bluetooth device, um, even without the little Logitech receiver thing. So I did that on my iPad and that like worked, it literally took 20 seconds to set up. So that was, that was pretty neat. Um, and then I don't know, like my, again, I didn't spend a, a ton of time with it either and didn't get into like the you know, nitty gritty of it or anything, but it's, it's kind of like, it's just, it's sort of surreal. Like it almost is just like it almost seems fake at first because um, it was such a pie in the sky idea for so long and it just all of a sudden you know was here uh, and it seems really really well thought out um, you know Paul Haddad had a, a tweet which I'll put in the notes which kind of I guess summarizes how I feel about it in a concise way which is the mouse support on iPad is pretty neat. Can't say it'll make me use the iPad anymore, but they did a good job. I think that, you know, that pretty much sums up my thoughts. Yeah, I, I would say most of that's fair. Uh, like my my only criticism would be mostly of just kind of the the iPad um, as primary computing device audience who are acting kind of like this is the second coming. Like, I mean, it's neat, but also, so now this, this essentially does give the world that, um, like iOS laptop that Jason has been wanting for so long. And I mean, and I, I guess that's fine, but I just feel like this accommodation to the people who are saying, oh, this, this is going to make me so much more productive. Like, well, yeah, now it's a computer or like, I mean, now it's, it's, it's mirroring the input devices that people had said well this is this is why this device is 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 revolutionary or it's all touch and precise pencil and all this kind of stuff so yeah but i think i think to be fair though like this week on upgrade you know jason and mike both you know emphasized that 
they're really happy that this is rolled out. They feel like it's been implemented kind of the, the best that it possibly could be, but there's still kind of a big dependency on software and what software well, sure. developers end up doing with it. So it's things are close, but we're not, you know, we're not there yet. Yeah, but I'm I'm more speaking to the fact that people are saying that this like this new input paradigm shift is now like going to revolutionize everything when basically now it's just closer to being a traditional like laptop. I don't know. I, I, I still I this is probably more of a religious argument than anything else of just like that whole debate over what is actually a work device. And now that we're getting further and further away from iPad as primarily touch input and now landscape primary device, it just feels like that. Sure. But now is this really that different than a Mac? Like every every benefit that's being extolled is now basically just saying, oh, great, it's it's closer to a traditional laptop well that's i mean that's the whole through line of why we've been a little frustrated with the ipad is you know people are so excited about it but every time it gets something new it's just sort of a step towards something we already have very very well stated basically everything that makes it a more capable device in the eyes of proponents is basically it catching up to like I guess, like my complaint would be that if Apple had given uh, enough attention or care to OS ten, like it would, I don't know. It's, it depends on what you feel is improvement and which trajectory you want it to take. Things are converging, but maybe not in the way that they should have been. But anyway, it's neat, and I'm I'm very surprised that it came out in a point release and they didn't hold this until iOS fourteen, especially when the refreshed iPad Pros that came out are basically non-updates i mean the, and the old ipad pro was great so that that's not a knock against it but this is basically just a software feature and an accessory that's not going to ship until may right uh elon musk came through with the ventilators yeah i mean speaking of giving credit where credit is due <laughs> this, this sort of was i think was happening like sort of in real time when we recorded a couple of weeks ago it was when when nate silver was being like how do you not know that there's a crisis and then Mayor de Blasio chimed in. Yeah, there was this kind of Twitter back and forth between Nate Silver and Elon Musk. Seemed like Elon was being a little flip, but turns out that he was, I guess, being serious um, and has <clears throat> actually already started um, delivering ventilators. I I wasn't clear on exactly where those were sourced. Um, but today also announced that he's making, uh, Tesla's delivery system available to help, you know, move ventilators around where they're needed. Um, and I, I think Tesla has also been looking into potentially using one of their gigafactories to, uh, start some, some additional production of ventilators. So, you know, I, we give Elon Musk a lot of grief on the show and rightfully so, but um yeah I, I just threw a tweet in the thing that makes the initial um uh skepticism with which this came through with maybe more valid but again yeah I, I, in, in in this one instance he he um it all worked out sort of yeah yep um 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in that case, let's move over to the in between section. Oh yeah, you, you this we we forgot to talk about this two weeks ago when we came back from hiatus. Um, you had gotten tur- yeah. I, I had this I had this whole list of topics like neatly prepared for when we started recording again. Uh, and it turn, turns out when you have a global pandemic, you sort of you forget about some things. Yeah, the one that I want to hone in on first is uh, so you, the renovations at your house had wrapped up mostly and you did a couple of last minute things to your second living room. Uh, and oh, you no, only only living room. We have a family room and a living room. Tomato potato. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't don't make my house sound like some some you know mansion or anything mm. Mm. um so yeah so you made an interesting choice with uh with a television set and i and i i am very curious about a lot of this so yeah what 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 uh what tv is in your second living room so let me uh pull open the uh trusty amazon history because this is gonna of course have some kind of like crazy model number uh so this is the TCL Class 6 series, uh, 4K, 55-inch TV, and the model is the 55R625. Um, yeah, the reason I went with this one was because this is basically like when you read TV, TV reviews, it's sort of like you really should just get an OLED now. Um, but if you don't want to spend that money because, you know, while they've come down significantly in price, you know, you're still looking at, I think around like 12 or 1300 for a 55 inch OLED, which I think is the smallest they, they make them. Um, if you don't want to go that route, then most folks recommend this, uh, TCL TV and it's, you know, it's, it's. It's not OLED, of course. It's just LED or QLED. Um, and it's got, you know, um, HDR. Um, and it, it does this um, thing that they call, I think, like contrast control zones, where it, it basically kind of tries to, like, mimic an OLED, where if you've got a darker part of the picture, I think it's sort of like, will try to dim light. Um, in that particular area of the screen. So it's not like, you know, individual pixels like on a, on an OLED, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I would say that the, you know, the picture quality is fine. I actually think that it's made me appreciate the OLED that we have even more. I think I've sort of, cause it, it's, that's been the only TV, um, that I've had for the past couple of years now. And so I've, you know, it just kind of is, you know, it's just the TV that I watch. And so I don't really think much about it. Um, but then going, you know, back and forth between this TCL TV and the OLED, it's like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a huge, there's a huge difference. The TCL looks fine, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look anywhere near as nice as the OLED, especially with 4K HDR content. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm sort of burying the lead because the thing that's just incredible about this TV, which regularly sells for like 550 bucks on Amazon. And I, I think I actually just saw it was on sale this past weekend or last for like 500 bucks somewhere, um, is the software. So this is a, it's a Roku TV. 
and I'm someone who's never had any sort of Roku device in the past. Um, and it's like, it's kind of incredible. Like you, so you turn the TV on and, you know, you answer a couple of questions about like the types of programming that you enjoy watching and you connect it to your Wi-Fi. Um, you can ha have it hardwired via Ethernet as well, which is what I ended up doing. But initially, I just connected it to Wi-Fi. And like within 10 minutes, it will kind of boot up. And based on those initial questions you answered, it will, you know, suggest a couple of different um, apps to just pre-install. So things like Netflix and HBO Go, et cetera. And that's it. Like you're ready to go. So like literally just by plugging this thing into power and connecting it to your Wi-Fi and answering a couple of questions, you are like, you literally have access to like, you know, 90% of your content, like basically everything except for, um, live TV. Um, and then it, it got even better from there because, the thing that I didn't realize on this TV or about Roku in general, I guess, is that there is the Apple TV app, which has rolled out to a bunch of devices over the past year. But again, I, I wasn't aware that this TV or Roku in general had that. So I was fully prepared to have to go out, buy another uh, Apple TV and, and connect that to this thing. But no, out of the box, that software was installed. And, you know, this this was my first experience with it. So I was really, really curious, like, what it would be. And you open this thing up, log in with your Apple ID, and it's literally, like, sitting in front of a TV with the little Apple TV hardware puck connected. Same exact interface. You have access to all of the same content. Um. So that was that was awesome. And then, you know, Disney Plus is on there. Basically like everything you kind of would possibly want um is on there. So cannot say enough good things about the software. And I, you know, I know the whole thing about Roku and you know, them monitoring everything you watch blah blah blah, but um in terms of user experience and in terms of the amount of content that's available on there just by plugging this thing into power into wi-fi super super cool cool yeah i was uh, one of my my questions was going to be if you had any trepidation about the privacy concerns but um yeah that's 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 pretty neat um so with the roku stuff uh when you were saying that it installs all those apps so there's no like separate app store although or... there is yeah there is but or sorry, is there any type of like a login you need to make any of the apps download, or do you just hit what you want? Like, is, do you now have like a Roku login or something? I do. I mean, I, I I created one, but I did so in the context of there is a smartphone app that you can use as a remote control, and I, that actually does some neat things, including um, being able to stream the audio from your tv to a pair of headphones that are connected to your phone so if you you know don't want the tv to be making sound but you want to obviously be you know listening to the audio whatever you're watching you can then use your headphones easily to do that um so i had set up i had set up a, a roku login to be able to enable that app i don't 
I don't remember if creating an account was optional or not. Um, well, I, I guess, I guess, I mean, when, when you were, when it was pre-installing Netflix and HBO go and all that kind of stuff, had you, were you required to register or log in for that? Yeah. Same as, same as like when you download apps to the Apple TV. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the experience in terms of, um, downloading all of these apps, or I think Roku calls them channels. Um, like it's very like, what's that Steve jobs quote where like, it was like the future of TV is apps. No, that, that, that was definitely, that was a Tim cook. One. Or was was that, was that Tim cook? I oh, thought that yeah. was okay. Hey, no, no. Yeah. You're right. You're right. The, the, you geez, Steve, that statement back. the Steve jobs thing was he had cracked TV, but it was never really clarified what he meant by that. Um, yeah, you're right. Tim, Tim cooks was the future of TV is apps. And that's, that's like a thousand percent. Uh, what Roku's model is. Because again, you turn this thing on and you're literally just presented a screen that's just a grid of all of these different apps. And I think there's like, there's some, there's somewhere buried in the menu that's like, oh yeah, do you have traditional cable? Like here, click, click here to set it up basically. But it very much wants you just to like, you know, download all these different apps, log into them and and basically just, you know, live the live the cord cutter life what's what's the interface consistency like with um between the apps um you know i I guess so that the apps that i've used so far have been netflix disney plus the apple tv app hbo go they all basically feel exactly the same way that they do on the apple tv hardware all the apps basically look similar to that i'd say hmm. so no really like no better no worse um but i mean just like in terms of like like i would the way that i would best describe this product is like it's probably like the most recommendable gadget that i've come across in a long time like i'm i'm trying to think of like like you, you think of like ease of use to set up was like they hit that out of the park. Like you literally again just plug this thing in a power and like that's all you need to do. Um, the availability of content, uh, the user interface is really nice. I think actually even the the little hardware remote it comes with is also really really thoughtful. <laughs> it's way way better than the Apple TV remote. It's not easy um, on the eyes, but it does look a hell of a lot more functional. Yeah. Although um they you know they have those like um well I guess actually this Amazon picture doesn't show That's this. that's what I was going to remark upon because normally those are plastered in like I remember I used to have I think some type of TV that had a dedicated Pandora button. I think just just whoever's striking a deal with them that week is who they print on the remote. It is. So the I can't <laughs> I don't have the remote in this room with me, but I it's Netflix is one of them, which that that makes sense. But then, like ESPN Plus is one of them. <laughs> I was like, mm. oh, for people who want to watch the the LeBron documentary or whatever. Yeah, I'm like, is or a bunch of thirty really, thirties. Is that really one of the four most like requested apps? And I, I actually can't even remember what the other two are. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, I cannot cannot say enough good things about the software on this TV and just how well designed and easy to set up it is. Picture quality, eh, you know, it's fine. It's, it's, I, it's a, it's very much like a, a second TV thing. 
Um, but yeah, um, we we are now a uh, two two TV household, um, and we actually were. I w- I was so impressed by this whole TCL Roku setup that we had been for quite a while now also thinking about maybe having a TV in our bedroom. Um, but one of my, one of my hesitations with that has always been that I can get a TV on the wall in there, but there really isn't a logical place to put any sort of like boxes. So even like an Apple TV, like I could, I could like mount it like maybe behind the TV or something, but I just, I didn't really want to like hassle with it. But now knowing that with this TV, all you have to do is plug it into power and you have everything you need, that was very appealing. Um, But in between setting up this TV in the living room and starting to think about setting up the other TV in the bedroom, you know, this whole global pandemic happened. And so spending money on things like that began to feel not necessary. Yeah, but and and then also again, I I am not in a position to to cash judgment. Like, but does it does feel nice to not have like a television? You like to have like separation of where things happen. I don't know. Maybe 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 that's an outmoded concept, but just I don't know. And also, isn't that a JoJo thing? Also, that like of not I I know that on Fixer Rapper they never had like TVs ever anywhere, but it feels like I don't know a bedroom. Like it's it's kind of a luxury and kind of nice to have. A bedroom be a t- a TV free zone. No, I, I get it, and actually, a, a really big part of the appeal of having a TV in the living room now is it is just a, a change of space, you know, or ch- a change of scene in a different space. Like there's there's a couple of times I've used it where um, I've literally chosen to to watch that TV instead of the one in the family room, just because literally it's just a different area of the house, and it just feels nice to kind of mix it up a little bit. Which, you know, being sheltered in place and spending a lot more time at home, the the variety of different places in the home has actually become one of those small things in life that we otherwise don't think much about. Um, so I, I so I get what you're saying, um, but I don't know. Well, again, like we're 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 still we're thinking about it. It's it's on the back burner again now, but yeah. Well, uh, yeah, let's keep it going. Uh, I forgot what happened. You you have some smart sprinklers now or something? Yeah. So the uh, so longtime listeners will remember that when I first moved into the house, um, you know, one of the things you don't think about with home ownership is you know you get the keys, you move in, but then especially as a first time homeowner you realize like, oh shit, there's like all these things around the house that I have absolutely no idea like how to operate or like what I, what's even required of me to like maintain these things. So like some examples were, you know, we have a central heating system and there's a filter in there that needs to be semi-regularly replaced. Um, you know, little things like that. But the the thing that was like the total thorn in my side for the longest time after moving in that I had a really hard time getting my head around was our sprinkler system. Um, Because apparently our house at some point, I don't know when this happened in the not that long ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago. It seems like they redid the irrigation system in the house and they, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice having now, but they added just a 
metric ton of sprinklers throughout the whole property. Um, but then connected it to this, well, I guess at the time was probably a nice sprinkler system, but now, you know, kind of an old school sprinkler system. And it was just really hard to, to figure out. Um, so one of the things I knew I wanted to do was replace it with a smart sprinkler system. And the lady friend had actually um, bought this for me for Christmas, like not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before. Um, but for a variety of different reasons, including realizing that the door that led to the outside area where the sprinkler system is, if I were to install the new system, that door wouldn't be able to open. <laughs> um, so that reason and others uh, resulted in me not being able to install it for quite a while. But um, as part of the home renovations that you mentioned earlier, that door was replaced. And so um, I was finally able to um, set up this um, smart sprinkler system. And I, I will again go to my Amazon order history and get you a link and put this in the notes. Um, I got the, well, actually, no, this is the, hold on. This is the outdoor the outdoor enclosure that you that you buy for it. Um, where's the actual system? Oh, here we go. So I I got the um, ratio. I don't I actually don't really know how to pronounce it out loud. Um, smart sprinkler controller, and I got the the eight zone version, and it's really nice. Really, really uh, nicely designed iOS app was surprisingly easy to install. And I think I, I sent you a couple of pictures. I think it ends up actually looking pretty nice too. Neat. Do you have any worries about like future proofing or that it'll ever be unsupported? Or do you think it's good for the long haul? I guess, will it still work if it ever, if the like smartphone component of it was ever like deprecated? Like, is there any part of it that's still manual? Not really, no. I mean, you, it's pretty much dependent on the iOS app to work. So I, I, I suppose if that completely went away, you'd be in trouble. Um, but it actually, it, it's, it's ended up being a lot more than I think I'm gonna actually going to end up using. Like, it, it does have a bunch of this, like, smart schedule functionality where it factors in a bunch of different things like the weather and the type of greenery that's being watered and i i still haven't quite figured all that out and i i think all that may end up being more than i need so i mean if anything it's it's the functionality is already so far ahead of of really probably what i'm going to end up using that even if it does get scaled back at some point it'll it'll still meet my needs cool so yeah that was a fun fun little fun little home project yeah well, good. So, you in your house is for, your house is static for a while. In terms of uh, other projects, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were very, very fortunate to finish the kitchen remodel before our current situation started. So, we were already probably going to be in a mode where we weren't really going to be doing being doing too much of the house, and then you know now, now being where we're at and kind of the uncertainty around. The economy going forward, yeah, we'll be staying pat for for a while with the house, I think. Yeah. 
All right. Do you want to take on a couple of quick new things before we get into uh, our TV talk? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so full, uh, if I read this right, full self-driving has come to all Teslas. Ugh. And basically you can just go take a nap in the back. I just, this link is a 404 now, but... Um, what link is a 404? The electric one? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I saw my first Model Y uh, on a run yesterday. Oh, you did? Yeah. I'm still... I'm still been on the the lookout for my, for my first one. What yeah, do you I, think? I don't like the it, the person that had um this is kind of a trend and it's usually more of like the weird people that try to like mod their like German and um Japanese cars but where they'll they'll try to like black out a bunch of like the chrome accented parts of a car. And apparently Tesla now offers that as like a first party option. So that was one of the things I immediately disliked about it of, of like, there was a lot, just a lot of like weird black elements to it, but I don't know. It looks fine. Like it was very difficult to, it was surprisingly odd where it looked much more like a model X than it did a model three. Yeah. And I had to do a double take on it, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a crossover. It's whatever. It's what Americans want. I've heard, I've heard that comment about it looking like a model X a handful of times. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it's yeah. Good for them. Maybe. I'm trying to figure out if did did Tesla make electric take down this? Oh, can you post? not find it on their regular website? That's what that's what I'm looking for. Well, it was just it was just some random dude's uh, like video while he was in his car. Oh, I think this one had a leaked thing about like manual pages or something. It did, but I oh maybe they did. Oh, that's that's kind of shitty. Oh, does that take away all the ventilator goodwill? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh no, no here here it is. I guess that, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that, uh, I don't know why that link wasn't working anymore, but, but here we go. Um, I was going to say electric's actually like, they, they, they get a lot of credit for me where at first glance, they actually do look a little bit like a Tesla fan site, but if you actually read what they do and listen to like their podcast stuff, they're actually, they, they're pretty critical of Tesla where, where Tesla deserves to be criticized. So I would have been surprised if they would have taken something like this down so they have not so the deal is that people who i forget what what is the tesla term for you paid enough where you get first dibs on software why well god it's so complicated it's like like the advanced pipeline or what what is it called well there there um there's the i think it's just like the early access program early access fleet Yes. fleet yeah and it, that's for people who had bought self-driving before they dropped the price on it a group of owners who beta test software from tesla always be- it's great to beta test cars but well there's that well so there, there's there's two different levels of the early access fleet yeah there's the smaller group which I don't really, I, I think that must be like Tesla employees and maybe like friends and family of employees and and then a handful of other folks. But then there's, there's a broader group uh, in, that, are, that are in the early access program. And those are the people who were like the early, early purchasers of the full self-driving package. Um, anyway, I, I'm not in either of those, of those groups, so I don't know a ton about it. I forget you you did pay full freight for the best version when you got your Model 3, right? Or did you hedge and get like whatever the middle tier was? 
Well, no, I, I certainly did not buy the self-driving package. No way. You Especially did buy, one, but wasn't there, isn't there a middle tier? Well, there's not anymore. There, there was at the time that I got my Model 3. So there was enhanced autopilot, which is just regular autopilot, but then it includes the um, more kind of autonomous mode on the freeway where it will automatically change lanes and change freeways. Well, or it will attempt to. Um, and then the, the smart summon thing, uh, and Tesla has now moved those features into the full self-driving package and, and, um, made standard autopilot, um, just part of each car by default now. Got it. So yeah, so getting, getting back to the main thing. So they have to, for that early access fleet, they have rolled out very, very, so late last year, uh, before Christmas time, uh, Santa Musk, uh, said that he was going to give full self-driving by the end of the year. That's accurate, correct? Okay. So in this early access fleet, it is now April 1st. The story came out March 30th. Uh, a very limited number of people have access to, um, traffic uh, stop sign and traffic light recognition and when you sent this over i did read the entire thing but I, I may be getting some of the details wrong but basically if i'm understanding it the car can identify stop signs and traffic control signals but its response to all of those is just to stop entirely is that right or did i read it wrong um you well, you lost me a little bit on that last part I, I thought that basically what this says and what the demo video showed is that basically it will identify a traffic light, but regardless of what the traffic light says, it will basically cancel autopilot and just kind of like st stop itself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that basically so it doesn't sound so, like full self-driving at all. No. So, so the genesis of this has been that, um, so in addition to all the kind of like software complications with you know these different levels of autopilot and then full self-driving the other thing that's been happening is tesla has been updating the actual autopilot hardware so like the central computer that manages autopilot and self-driving and actually my model 3 has like autopilot hardware version 2 and they've since come out with autopilot hardware version three and that kind of self-driving preview that you alluded to at the end of last year, when that rolled out, any car that had this hardware version three in it, so not my car, but cars made, I don't know, some number of months after mine started having the ability of recognizing stop signs and traffic signals and would, and it would actually show them on the driving display, but it didn't really do anything with them. It kind of, it just sort of like showed you that it was seeing them sort of like how it'll show you lane, lane markers on the road. And so, yeah, now with this mode, which has the, um, incredibly catchy name of stopping at traffic lights and stop signs <laughs> that's literally the name of the feature um it will now when you have autopilot on and if you're about to go through an intersection 
uh, it will show you the status of the lights, which you know you can already just look up and see. And then <clears throat> if you if it's a green light, you can continue through the intersection, but you actually have to tap the accelerator to indicate that yes you do in fact want to go through the intersection and if you don't act the car will come to a stop even if the light is green which seems incredibly unsafe um but then if the car sees a red light that's where it will then just come come to a stop um so it's full self-driving if you're a pessimist <laughs> yeah I, I guess so um, I guess my, my basic question for this is how is this in any way better than just driving the car on your own through city driving? Like what, what, what value does this add? Like I, you know, for all the quirks of a Tesla vehicle, like autopilot on the freeway actually by and large works pretty darn well. And I, especially on longer drives, do really, really find it to be helpful. But I don't, I don't see how this would be similarly helpful. Yeah, it doesn't. It just feels like they had to, um, to kind of force something out there with all the promises that they were making about that coming and there being basically nothing ever since uh was it what was the what was the previous most advanced feature navigate on autopilot was that the right. most like hands-off yeah. thing yeah that's that's the one that's the feature that my car has that was part of the enhanced autopilot and that came out like last spring right right yeah so i think they just wanted to show that anything was happening i mean it, but it just yeah it really feels not useful at all and and again this is we're we're a, a podcast that has come around to maybe taking a more not pessimistic but um like i think we were both more bullish on how quickly what is it called category five level five autonomous driving would be i think we both thought it would be here sooner than it actually was and now it may never come at all like stuff like that like i don't know like it feels like this is yeah not useful or <laughs> good or actually in, in most cases it's kind of like the people who do like this, you made the point that like it's just less safe. Like it, it, most of like the accidents on, like it's not the speed at which people drive on the freeway that cause accidents. It's people who don't know how to get up to speed quickly enough. Like if somebody's trying to merge onto the highway that's going seventy at thirty-five, like that's the problem. So if you're just stopping randomly, mm -hmm. because like this doesn't, this doesn't allow you to take any attention off the road. Not that you should be, but like I like I think isn't that the promise of it? So you still have to, you now have to be paying more attention. Like where normally you would just kind of assume every, like just as a human, you'd assume everything's green until it's not. Except now you basically have to think of every intersection. Oh, is the car just going to stop and somebody's going to rear end me? Like that's not, that seems objectively worse. Yeah. It, so in, in addition to seemingly being a worse user experience um, and being unsafe, the other thing that's just kind of un unbelievable is uh, the list of limitations that this feature has. So I guess in this leaked manual, they list out um, all of the scenarios that are currently not supported by the feature. And those include 
railroad crossings, keep out zones, toll booths, crosswalk systems, yield signs or temporary traffic lights and stop signs, such as at a construction area, miscellaneous traffic U-turn lights, bicycle and pedestrian crossing lights, lane, av- lane availability lights, etc. <laughs> Electric has a great one-liner in this article, which is some of these are actually quite common at intersections. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is this is bad. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah, it, it's um... a warning: never depend on stopping at trap. Oh, I, I appreciate they don't put quotes around the feature. Never depend on stopping at traffic lights and stop signs to determine whether to stop or proceed at an intersection. Then what the fuck does it actually do? So the the thing with so I'm you know I've become increasingly concerned about the types of things that te- that Tesla's been rolling out. Um, Especially when they they're very like clear, especially like even in the UI about calling these beta features. Um, but cars aren't like, beta products. No, and like I felt that way about Smart Summon, but you know, at least there you're in a parking lot. The car doesn't go more than I think it's like three or five miles an hour. Not to say that bad things can't happen, but you know that's at least a kind of more controlled slow environment like this feature now being in um you know full like city driving where you can be going you know 30 40 miles an hour and it, it, i mean just thinking about the scenario where you're, go- where you're going through a series of intersections like i don't know think about like um and what would what would be like a good a good example in San Francisco, like Geary or something? And if you're going through a series of intersections and all of a sudden you don't remember to tap the accelerator to go through a green light and your car all of a sudden stops, that seems like incredibly unsafe for you and the people behind you. Have you have you driven in the city recently? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, in the past six months? In the past six months, yes. So how would, how would with, like, alleged self-driving, would, like, a car deal with, like, the construction that's on Van Ness, where right now it feels like you're driving the wrong way half the time? Like, you're literally going straight in, like, the leftmost lanes. Like, it feels like that stuff would never actually work, Right. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that in the list of limitations, you know, construction zones are listed as something that this feature as it stands isn't going to really work with. And yeah, I mean, you're right. Even like thinking forward to... But like San Francisco is going to be under construction for the next 20 years, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like that's not... Well, that's, I mean, I think, so I think the the best point of reference for me has been, you're familiar with Cruise, right? Cruise Automation? Yeah, yeah. And their food cars. Yeah. Like they... That literally, like the one thing that they've been doing for the past few years has been driving cars around San Francisco, working on like what it would take to build out an automated driving system to be able to figure out the the streets and scenarios of San Francisco. Like they've been solely dedicated to that, mm-hmm. and you know are making progress, but are still, I think, a ways off from from being able to have a fully autonomous solution. So, you know, Tesla seemingly just dropping in and trying to figure out a scenario like 
Van Ness or Lombard Street in San Francisco, which has also been under crazy construction, seems like that's a long, long ways away. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, good car names, though. Uh, in case anybody doesn't know, all the cruise vehicles have uh, food names as what each vehicle is named. Kind of like how Zipcars used to be, uh, used to have um, cool names on them. All right, any other Tesla stuff or we're good with that? I think we're good with that. Yeah. Um, only other thing, Electric kind of does that Axios style thing where at the end of every post they, they give you like a section like about like why this matters. Yeah, thumbs down to that. Yeah. Uh, real quick, have you, uh, Disney plus is, this has kind of been more of like kind of a quarantine style trend, but with movie theaters closed, a lot of, um, movie studios have been moving, um, less popular to like middle of the road popularity movies into having, um, sooner release dates. So Disney on Disney plus, they moved up frozen by like three months to be on Disney plus immediately onward a movie from pixar that um i think it debuted like march 7th so just really really tough timing for this whole situation that was given a like direct to video like buy it or rent it release and then one week later it was on disney plus and this was all like two weeks after it came out in the cinema i think a few other there's a movie called emma that did the same thing where you could rent it for 20 dollars when it was still technically in the movie theaters so that's been kind of a, a weird byproduct, byproduct of this whole um, shelter-in-place pandemic economy, where it's force it's it's excel, rapidly accelerating a lot of experiments with business models. Yeah, I, it has, but it, it comes with a couple of big caveats, which I thought giving Jason Sell more credit. Um, he really walked through clearly on upgrade. And it was either this week or last. Um, the caveats here being are the studios are really only doing this with movies where, you know, the, kind of the full marketing budget had already been spent and these movies were either out, already out in theaters or like imminently about to come out in theaters. So they were all kind of in a position where it was like, well, we can't delay these like the the horse is already out of the barn, as you would say. So let's, you know, let's make, lem you know, lemonade out of lemons here and just try to like <laughs> at least make a little bit of money. Um, well, yeah, just like um, there's supposed to be a new James Bond movie and the whatever the new Fast and Furious movies are like the, the ones that are expecting gigantic amounts, uh, gigantic pools of money to come from. Those are getting delayed. So it's that's so, so that's the other. So that's the second piece is that, I mean, for the entertainment industry, you know, the 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 timing of this was such that you know february march is not like marquee movie release season and you know that that typically happens like in the spring and summer and to a lesser degree during the holidays so i mean this was like the one time of year where bigger movies typically aren't coming out and yeah i mean like like you said it's not like you know studios or or the answer for them is going to be yeah you know we're we're now making all new releases available to rent at home right away for for 20 bucks it's no we're just going to push these out until this hopefully gets better at some point 
so, so that that's correct but I, but I do really feel and I haven't watched it yet but I feel like Onward is kind of a, a weird curious case so right. the, the 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 thing with Onward that I think is is where Disney get, deserves some credit and, and is sort of an interesting business decision is them making it available to buy digitally almost right away I think that was that was logical but then the idea that they would then just put it out on Disney plus like two weeks after that that's the, that's the part that is a little surprising but then also you know maybe somebody probably crunched the numbers and was like listen there's not a big demand to buy this thing we're probably gonna generate more good press than that you know the the amount of good press we're going to get is worth more than the number of people who are going to buy this movie digitally so let's continue to you know get disney plus out there in the in the public's mind like long term that's that's what disney's focused on yeah but that's 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 uh if you think of if you think of that money lost there on a 200 million dollar budget movie as being like a marketing expense like that's a very aggressive marketing move because they, they could have they could have left it as just like a digital release for like let's say two months yeah but again like a little bit of context here too though is that so like star wars just came out on it came out digitally of i guess a couple of weeks ago three weeks ago whatever the window now is between digital release and then when you can rent movies like when when, when they come out on disc um and that came out on disc yesterday um that's not coming to Disney Plus next week. So, you know, there are I mean I mean I actually am I'm really really excited to see Onward, so I'm I'm not like I'm not trying to throw shade at it as the kids say, but um just making the point that studios are not doing this with their kind of marquee films. So they're I mean they're dipping their toe in the water with experimenting with new business models which I am all for like I I think moving to a model where we're able just to stream new movies at home for some increased fee like I I think that's where things that's where I would kind of want things to go um so you know I guess some experiments in that direction are are interesting yeah yeah neat how do you how, how do you feel about movie theaters like I mean I mean obviously like <laughs> what do you mean well, I mean, like, you're you're not somebody who regularly goes to the theater, right? Uh, the theater theater or the movie theaters? The movie theater. Um, no, but that's for other reasons. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I mean, I guess I, you know, obviously I'm not like, I'm not rooting for people to like lose their jobs at movie theaters, but I like the, the, the model of having to like go to this place to see a new movie so you 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 just you just opened up a can of worms unfortunately and this we're we're trying to keep this show tight but this has been toyed around with a whole bunch where and this goes for a lot of other things and we'll probably very briefly talk about instacart in a minute but like i don't think you or most people are willing to pay how much it would cost to watch a movie at home like because even if how how much would you let's so let's say it's um the bringing out episode eleven of Star Wars and Disney says hey we're gonna make it uh, available as a uh, like same day purchase slash rental on Disney Plus Plus Max 
how much would you pay for that? Like it's dropping in the theaters and you're able to watch it at home. How much would you pay? Well, it it, it depends, right? Because it's sort of a function of how big your family is. Just you. You are who you are right now. Well, I'm a family of three right now. But are you asking me? I'm asking you just your current situation. Don't don't have to overcomplicate it. Like if it was a movie that like only I wanted to see, and the rest of my family would, even if I had gone to the theater, they would like not have come with me. I'm trying to think of a movie that what what would be a movie that only would appeal to you? Um, just, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. But but is you, okay, you want to see follow. a movie? How much would you spend? Twenty bucks. No. Well, yes, you probably would, and that's not enough money. Like that's that's the problem yeah. where nobody nobody realizes that they're not. This goes to the, and I'm going to be super brief about this, but there's been a lot of because of the current global situation, like a lot of backlash against Instacart and a lot of the food delivery services right now about worker pay and stuff like that. But the other part that kind of goes along with so many of these other things is that. People just aren't really willing to pay what things should actually cost where like people still want groceries to be delivered to them whenever they want it for $7, but then also want the person who's doing that to be making $25 per trip. Like I, 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 there's a lot of things where there's just the markets are the way that they are because the end customer doesn't necessarily want to pay what things should because like, I there was another wasn't it like movie pass what was the precursor to movie pass I don't remember because there was a thing um what was it because basically like and people can fact check this but the thing that came before movie pass was a thing where you could get like day and uh, like day of release movies at home but the rentals cost like 50 bucks and it was unsustainable because nobody wanted to pay that, which makes sense. But that's why the economics are what they were. Because if you, let's let's pretend, let's fast forward 15 years. Let's say you're a family of five. Like one family now spending only $15 or $20 on a movie that they can watch at home and are no longer subsidizing this whole ecosystem of distribution. Like that's not, that's not sustainable, but nobody's going to be willing to pay what the value of the content is and that's why release windows work the way they do i don't know like it's 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 all so weird where i don't know people yeah and i feel like because we're in this land grab phase where netflix is overspending on content and raising massive amounts of debt to fund all that gigantic content push and Apple is just buying every script they possibly can because for some reason they feel that they have to have some type of movie or TV service right now. And Disney, they just have such a war chest of content for the past hundred years and also have the ability to grossly under underprice their product for three years until, until they can start like boiling the customer. Like it just, it feels like it's, we're just in like weird funny money times excluding all the other stuff that's going on well yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> sorry that one went off a little I, bit but no i i think i mean that that's sort of the um that's sort of the not so hidden secret of more and more business models now where it's it being you know being um basically subsidized by venture capital and like at some point that's going to dry up and then probably given our 
current economic situation is going to come sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the true, the true cost of services has been significantly masked over the last decade. And that, you know, there, that's that, you know, that check's going to, um, or that what's, what's the expression here? Like that, that rent's going to come due or something at some point. I don't know. I'm yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, let's do, we're to keep this brief. So we probably, we won't do like, what episode are we on a better call? Saul the season, like episode seven. Yeah. I, 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 when I watched this most recent episode, I was like, damn, this season's like already almost over. Yeah. So we won't actually do like a season in review yet. So I want to do two quick things. I want us to briefly give a kind of what we think so far broadly of better call Saul, but I also want to know. What's what's because you have an item in here about the morning show, so I want to know how much of that you guys have watched and what you, what your thoughts are there. Uh, so the lady friend and I we we watched all the morning show. Okay, how was it? It was it was better th- better than I expected, but expectations were probably pretty low. Expectations were very low. It it's way it's way too self serious. Um, I think a TV morning show is probably the wrong vehicle for the subject matter that's being tackled, but eh, it's TV, so let that slide. It, it does do a lot of it does it does some interesting things and obviously addresses some complicated topics, and I think generally does so pretty well. Um, really, really high production value. Um, not really a show that like you would think of as you know being something that you would would want to like watch in 4k or something but it actually is Ooh, and it's a it's a very black like black heavy like in terms of scenery it, it looks great it's, it was a tv mastered for oled yeah exactly yeah um really good acting um i i did not realize until after we had finished watching it that this is jennifer anderson's first tv show since friends and this is steve carell's first tv show since the office i didn't i didn't realize either of those things um, and they're, they're both really, really good and very much not <laughs> the characters that they've played in the past. Did you find Carell believable? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing you didn't. Oh no, I did. Uh, but it, but it, it took a while. It took a while. Oh yeah. But like, I mean, the first, the first episode, I didn't buy it at all. Cause there's no, I mean, there's no ramp up period. <laughs> it's just no. like, oh wow. Yeah, so it, it it took a while, but towards the end, yeah, seeing him as a as a, as a scumbag, it 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 built its credibility. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it overall, you know, it, I I thought it was I thought it was good, um, and I've, I'm about halfway through for all mankind, mm. um, which similarly incredibly high production value, um. I'm, I, overall, I've been really, really enjoying that show. Um, my overall takeaway from from both of those shows, like my shared view of both, is outside of like the really good production value, is that that whole rumor about Apple TV Plus basically just being like a bunch of family friendly NBC sitcoms. Like, holy cow, that could not have been more wrong. That was like the thing that I was most surprised by with the morning show was just how mature it is. Like, I mean, that is a full on 
HBO style show. And for all mankind's not quite that, but it's it's also certainly not a show, even like production value aside, just theme wise, is not a show that would have been on network TV. Yeah, yeah. I still feel like there's probably certain areas that Apple would intentionally not go. And I think a lot of the leaks that happened during Apple TV's like run up before they had actual shows released where people were leaking that kind of stuff, probably a lot of it was kind of what Jason talked about. But think about what the morning show has. Like, I mean, it has everything. It has language. It has sex. It has stuff we don't really even need to get into on this show. I mean, it's it's got pretty much everything. So I'm not really sure what Apple wouldn't touch. I don't ever see Apple making a uh, like a Westworld or something or anything like that. I don't know. Like, but again, also this entire thing is is a vanity project and completely elective on Apple's part, so it doesn't actually matter. But just if like I, I, I do, would you say that you think Apple has gives complete creative control to not a showrunner, but like to a show team, or do you think Apple is probably a company or somebody who's giving notes that they don't want their brand associated with certain things? I would say more so than HBO or or Showtime or Netflix. I mean, obviously, I mean maybe, but. Like the the expensive NBC things are now have been proven to be wrong and in a in a mischaracterization absolutely, but I, I would still say that it's uh, show creators probably don't have the freedom they would have with with Netflix or somebody else. I mean, honestly, in in a lot of ways, the morning show is a way more mature show than even like something like Westworld is. Because like Westworld and Game of Thrones, it's it's all it's all fantasy and sci-fi. Whereas the morning show not only has like sex, but it has so like in the context of real world situations. So I I, I think that's I actually think that's even a harder subject to do tastefully. So I I I don't know. I when I watch the morning show, there's nothing I look back on and be like, oh yeah, Apple clearly kind of you know, softened that a bit. I feel like there's uh, the morning show parallels a lot to house of cards in terms of both subject matter content and, um, like the nascency of that content creation. Yeah. Good analogy. Yeah. But, but I also think, I don't, yeah, I don't, I also think like house of cards was a fairly tame show because I, I think a lot of the content stuff, there's a decent, there's a good balance on the morning show with it being, other than the fact that the first three episodes just kind of were not very coherent. And um, what's her name? Not Drew Barrymore. The other one. Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's character is very unbelievable for the first three. Like the whole viral, no, spoilers. This is the first episode, so it doesn't matter. But the whole like premise of why, what is her name? Jordan? The character's name. God, I'm so bad with character names. Don't don't put me on the spot like that. It's something like that. Um, something. Her name was something. <laughs> uh, fuck. I need morning show. Um. Oh come on, IMDb. Bradley. Whatever. Bradley. Bradley Cooper. There we wait. No. <laughs> no, Bradley. That's a real actor. Uh, fuck. Bradley Jackson. <laughs> Oh my god, that's one of the funniest things you've ever done on the show. Bradley Cooper, is that other guy? That's an actor, yeah. Oh, that was so good. Okay. All right. 
So yeah, her whole character, like the whole premise of how she gets thrust onto the show through like, and again, this has been in the trailers. This is not a spoiler, but the whole, like she's at like some fracking protest and, and goes off and becomes a viral hit. Like that whole thing didn't like that. That entire episode didn't feel believable at all. Like maybe there was just like a lot of world building that had to happen, but like that kind of didn't ring true but again like it, it did come together and it's kind of like again i'm a sucker for like aaron sorkin shows and i and i and i i watched all of studio 60 and i and i hate watched the newsroom like th- this is this is my wheelhouse but it, like overall good show and you get to hear uh jennifer anson uh, say the f word a lot even to her own kids it's pretty good mm, yeah um and then uh just very very briefly better call saul thoughts so far like no content spoilers, but like, what, what, what are you thinking? I continue to really, really enjoy the show. I think this season's maybe been a little on the slower side. Not to say that it's been bad, but it's just, it's been moving at a very plotting pace, which, you know, it, Breaking Bad did this too. Um, certainly did not see what happened in this most recent episode coming. Or like I guess what sort of like was kicked off at the end of the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so very very curious to see where that goes. Um, yeah, still still really really enjoying it, but um, I guess I, 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 this season now has sort of felt like maybe for the first time like okay yeah this show is is probably coming towards its end. Yeah, I'm gonna say. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I'm I'm enjoying this season, but it feels like the um, Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman parts are my least favorite. Like all the stuff related to um, Fring and Mike and and Nacho and everybody else. Like it, it that all seems good, but I'm it feels like I'm kind of just waiting for maybe maybe the whole now that this season is other than like his current. Like as of episode seven, his current like caseload and client before like the whole him just dealing with like wacky, um, like low rent and lawyer case like that, that whole stuff just doesn't feel kind of like the morning show. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like authentic and it kind of just, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling like up until this episode, all that stuff has kind of been just stuff I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to skip over to see what happens with Kim and the whole Poyos Hermanos thing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, it's still the show I, you know, really look forward to the most each week and that, that hasn't changed, but again, it, it, it just feels like it's, it's kind of winding towards its conclusion, which, you know, you'd expect. Yeah. All right. Chef specials. Let's do it. Um, mine is short and sweet. It's not, um, not a product that I guess is available anymore, at least in the the form that I have it. And it, either you have it or had it at some point. Hmm? Uh, the TiVo Mini. Hmm? Did you ever have a TiVo Mini? I did. Yeah. So um, I had one from a few years ago that we had had hooked up to a second TV um, when the lady friend and I lived uh, in our old apartment um, and then had kind of put it away when we moved and you know until recently haven't had a second tv here in the house and so once we hooked up that roku tv in the living room 
Um, I pulled out the old TiVo Mini and connected that. And it's it's a phenomenal little device. Um, you know, you just literally plug it into power and Ethernet and away you go. Like no, no setup required, no configuration necessary. And it's just literally like having a full second TiVo um, on another TV. So, you know, for as for as great as all of the built-in Roku stuff is, you know, I'm I'm still one that watches a decent amount of uh, recorded traditional TV, and it's it's great having a, a TiVo box um, on the second TV. But I was looking to see if I can get like an Amazon link or something. And I guess now the only thing that they still sell is something called the TiVo mini Vox. Yeah. It's another thing when the bolt came out, they introduced that voice remote and then now it's all, so isn't it the same thing? Kind of it is, but it's, it's more expensive. It's like 150 bucks. I don't remember that. I thought the TiVo mini when I bought it was like less than a hundred, but maybe I'm not remembering that correctly. Um, actually, no, that's, this is a used one. I think the TiVo mini Vox new is like, 175 yeah so um i do really like on this new tivo remote though that it just has a big skip button that's kind of cool yeah has has skip mode been working less reliably for you or is it the same as it's always been same as it's always been Hmm. uh yeah i'm not i'm not sure i really have one you know i I will give a a vague one because this is something that's probably going to fall away almost immediately uh, but I've been toying around with the Mike Hurley idea of time tracking mm. now that um, uh, time has no meaning and, and um, <laughs> leaving the house is something I uh, do infrequently. Um, yeah, time tracking, there's a service called Toggle that is the backbone of, of most people who use um, uh, time tracking stuff of where it's not necessarily for billable clients, but it's just for you. But there's an iOS app called Toggle, or wait, sorry, not Toggle, Timery, T-I-M-E-R-Y. Uh, so it's 10 bucks a year. There's a one-month free trial, but basically it can link to the free Toggle account because you don't need a paid plan for Toggle if you're just an individual. And it's a very good, elegant uh, way to set up timers to kind of track what you're doing, whether it be for just like downtime, personal projects, or work just to know where your time goes throughout the day. So you don't wake up at 11 a.m. and it's 7 o'clock and you wonder where everything went. But this is a hesitant recommendation because I don't know if this is actually going to stick. But I do stand behind the recommendation that Timery, if you are going to try to time track, is a very elegant iOS app to do so with. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not a big like timesheet person. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if this would be for me. But I but I do agree that when our daily routines that otherwise kind of help us, you know, kind of mark points of the day are gone and we're, you know, increasingly just spending time in one place, that being our houses, I I, I see, I could see the value in this during this time, you know, more so than, well, during a, you know, when we're not in a global pandemic. Yeah. Fun fact, leaving the house is a big accountability source. (laughs) 